surrender our lives afresh. We love you. We praise you. We honor you. We thank you. We worship you. We exalt you. Oh, Lord, we love you. You are great and mighty. You are awesome. You are worthy. You have done great things. You have done marvelous things. You've been there again and again and again. Your grace has always been sufficient and your faithfulness is great. Your mercies, they have been new every morning. They've been new. They've been fresh. They've been full in our lives. And we love you, Lord, and we praise you for that. And we thank you for the privilege that we can gather in your name. We can gather as the redeemed, the family of God, the blood-bought, and that we can praise you together and worship you together and honor you together. And we thank you, Lord, for your precious promise that if we draw near to you, you will, in fact, draw near to us. And I pray, Father, in the name of Jesus, this day, in your drawing near, you will speak to us, you will touch us, you will use your servant, your son, and your daughter to minister powerfully and effectively. You will flow through them and you will use them to change lives, to build up lives, to encourage, comfort, and make healthy and strong and vibrant a people for their God. Now we pray, oh God, give us ears to hear and give us hearts ready to respond to the word of the Lord so you might have your way in our lives and you might work your good work in each one of us. In Jesus' name and all God's people said, Let's give him a praise. Let's give him a praise. We love you, Lord. We praise you, Lord. We love you. We honor you. We exalt you. Holy and awesome. Holy and awesome. Wonderful and worthy. Jesus. Jesus. Precious Jesus. Hallelujah. 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 Amen. You may be seated. Lord bless you. Good morning. So good to see everybody out this morning. God is so good to us. Amen. So I think of our dear ones that go to glory. And all I can think of, if we could ask them right now, is God good? I think the response is, I cannot tell it all. I cannot tell it all. Amen. Oh, Lord. Isn't it wonderful? Oh, man. You, don't, you're going back, you know, for the child of God, it just gets better. For the child of God, if you're not saved, get all you can, but this is all you're going to get. it get worse from here. But for a child of God, it just gets better. It just gets better. Wow. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. So again, good morning. We ask you uh, just to be at home and lift up Jesus with us. And if you're visiting us, welcome. Be a, be a treasured guest. And we pray God will touch you and speak to you and bless you in a special way. But now, before we introduce our guests, the children, you are dismissed to Children's Church. So, little ones, come on. There's Sister Amy, and she's going to take you to Children's Church. And there's Brother Jordan. He just grows every time I look at him. He grows another inch or so. I mean, I used to have to bow down to hug him. Now I've got to get up on a little stool to hug him. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. Man, we, we are so blessed to have John and Joyce Zisk with us. They're, they're back from the Netherlands. That's where God's had them the last number of years, pastoring and building, building the church and touching souls. And 
Um, I, I always get blessed when they come. Sister Joy always blesses us with song. But I, I got to tell you, Brother John, I just love hearing him open up that Bible. He just, you know, he's just going to preach the word to us. He's, he's old school. Amen. Sometimes I feel out of place in, in the modern age. And then Brother John comes around and says, I guess I'm not so much. But um, let's give him a big God bless you and a big welcome. Amen. Amen. You're good. All right. You know, a lot has happened since the last time we saw you, and I just want to share a little bit of, about that. When we first became the pastors at New Day International Church in 2016, uh, they were used to an ecumenical service. So it was a big culture shock when they had real Pentecostal pastors <laughs> to take over uh, the church. And uh, so there was a little bit of culture shock going through the church and a little bit of culture shock on our side, too. And uh, we were praying through that, and about the second year that we were there, uh, we started to make some changes to adjust the church to running in more of a biblical way instead of, instead of more of a club way. And uh, that caused some people to rise up against us. And they actually wrote letters to uh, the Assemblies of God in the Netherlands to try to straighten us out. <laughs> and so one day, one day our superintendent came from, from the Dutch Assemblies, it's called the VPA, and uh, he sat with us for a while, and, and we were chatting, and the Holy Ghost just came down in the room and began to just pour out over us, and uh, he prayed over us, and he said, you know, I've discerned in my spirit that God has sent you here to change what is happening in the city of Elmira, and I want you to know I'm behind you 100%, and I feel the anointing on your life, and you just do what God tells you to do. Hallelujah. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> God has a way of taking care of conflict. Well, there was some blessed subtraction after that, and uh, we just began to pray. You know, Lord, we want to minister to people who are hungry for you. That's the only qualification. God, would you send people to us who are hungry for you? And the Lord began to do that. In fact, six of our, our uh, current members at the church, they used to be Mormons. They came out of the Latter-day Saints in, in our country, and uh, one of them, his name is Brian, and he just loves the way Pastor John brings the word. He said, I love the unadulterated word of God, and the way it is shared here, he said, the Lord stirred up my spirit. He'd been in the church for years since he was a child. It was very hard for him to leave, but he said, uh, I, I began to realize that when somebody adds something to the word of God, that is not right. Hallelujah. Isn't that great that God showed him that? Praise the Lord. Melissa was in that same church uh, and, and with her daughter, Katerina. Her husband, we're still praying for him. His name is Dave. And uh, she said, I was always looking for peace, and I never found peace when I was in the Mormon church. But she said, I found peace with God. <laughs> Hallelujah. God has transformed her life. Praise God. And then, uh, you know, because our church is still growing, uh, Pastor John and I wear a lot of hats. And so um, one Sunday I went back to teach Kids Connect after leading worship and I have one child. Now, if, if you're in, in children's ministries or any kind of ministry and you just have one, you could feel a complaint in your heart because you really worked hard to prepare something. But over the years, because this is not my first rodeo, <laughs> you know, I've come to realize that sometimes when there's just one, there's a special need in that just one. Amen? And I said, Jesus, I don't know what you want to do today, but I think it's going to be good. Hallelujah. Well, the previous Sunday, I felt the Holy Spirit come over me, and I asked the children, so this is the previous Sunday. There were several kids there. And I said, when did you ask Jesus into your heart? And some responded and some just looked thoughtful. And uh, so this little boy, uh, Yuvraj is his name, that was there, my, my one student that Sunday, he said, Joy, I've been thinking about that question all week. 
He said, I realize I've never asked Jesus in my heart. He said, in fact, he said, I didn't know what it was to feel the presence of God. He said, when we first came to your church, so they'd only been there maybe a couple of months. He said, the first Sunday we were there, I was so distracted. It was really different. He said, he said but the second Sunday, I felt something in my spirit that I never felt before. He said, I, I want to give my heart to Jesus. Praise the Lord. And he did. He accepted the Lord. And so next month when we asked, uh, does anyone want to be baptized? He said, I do. And his dad, now his dad is a really big guy, okay? So he works security for the train service. And um, we didn't know this about him, but he came to us and said, I, I want to be baptized. He said, in 2009, God spared my life. He said, I should be dead. I had a cerebral hemorrhage. And it was a long road back to get healthy again. He said, I'm there now. But I realized that God saved me to serve him. Amen. He didn't abandon me. He saved me to serve him. And he said, I, I want to make a public profession of faith. And so we got to see Robert and you, Raj, father and son, get baptized at the same time along with the others. Praise God. <laughs> Thank you, Lord. Thank you for what you're doing, Jesus, in the Netherlands. Hallelujah. The mom in this family, Sita, she loves to pray, and, and she was at our Wednesday night prayer meeting, and she came to me after a few weeks, and she said, Joy, you are different. <laughs> well, we all knew that, but <laughs> she said, uh, I want what you have. She said, tell me, what is it that you have? You are different. And I said, I have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, and it makes me different. I said, it gives me power. It gives me a boldness. And it, it makes my ministry something it could never be if it was just me that were doing that. It's, it's because of the Holy Spirit. And so she's now seeking the baptism along with several other in our church. And we are praying for an outpouring. Would you just join with us in praying? When you pray for us, would you pray for an outpouring of the Spirit? It's starting. Our church is growing. Uh, we just had to double the space. Praise God. Uh, we, we, the, the space that we had, it was way too small. And we're just... Really glad for the souls that God is adding. And thank you for your investment. I promise you, if you could be where Brother Jerry is today, you, he would tell you it's worth it all. It's worth every sacrifice. Amen. You know, when I was just 17, I was uh, waiting in a motel room in Springfield, Missouri to check in to Central Bible College. And uh, my parents and my little brother went to run some errands. And I said I wanted to stay behind. Because I felt the Spirit calling to me. And I was meditating on the passage where Paul says, I will very gladly spend and be spent for you. He said that to the Corinthians in, in 1 Corinthians or 2 Corinthians 12, 15. And I didn't know what it would involve then, but the Lord gave me this song. And now 40 years later, I want to share it with you because it means something different now. When I wrote it, it was just good intentions. It was just a a prayer from my heart. But God has allowed me to live this. Hallelujah. And I'm still getting to live it. I feel so blessed. Because I am. <laughs> I am so blessed to be his daughter and to serve him. And so if you'll help me back here, I want to share this song, Spend and Be Spent. Be spend and be spent in your service, dear Lord. 
every breath that I take, let it be to further your work. I'm tired of sitting around in pretty plush pews while millions are dying, never hearing of you. I want to be you. of my strength every moment of the day I'll spend it all your will to obey I want to be you Hallelujah. If the king calls you to service, why would you stoop to do anything else? There's no one more worthy of our lives. No one worthy of our praise. And the best way that we can praise him is with every moment of our lives. You know as well as I do that praise is not just a Sunday morning thing from 10.30 to 11 or whatever. 
is not, doesn't begin with the first song and end with the last song. No, praise is the way I live. It involves a radical transformation, a selling out. When Joy was talking about the Netherlands while ago, I thought to myself, God is, God is such a schemer. If, you know, the fact is when we tell God, any of us, not just missionaries, but when, when we tell God, Lord, I will do anything that you call me to do, we have no idea what we're signing up for. And the truth be told, if we did, we would have never done it. We said, whoa, this, this is not what I signed up for. But that's just it. When we sign up, we sign it all over. Everything, we give God the checkbook, and he write, you know, he can write the check for any amount he wants to. And until we get to that point, we have not fully surrendered. I, I don't know about you, but for me, I have found that surrender is a lifelong process. Just when I think, yeah, okay, now I'm starting to make progress I find out, whoops, I still have a long ways to go. And I've also learned a little bit of what Isaiah experienced. The closer we get to God, the more unholy we will know we are. When he got a vision of the king, he said, woe is me. And when Joy was talking about the Netherlands, I thought about how Paul, the Apostle Paul, asked the believers in a certain city if they had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And they said, we've been baptized in the name of John after the teaching of John, but we have not even heard that there is a Holy Spirit. For decades, Europe was choking on religion. And now, for the last couple of decades at least or so, secularism has consumed Europe. Europe is full of architecturally gorgeous churches where the Holy Spirit has not been in a long, long time. Believe me, I've, you know, we've, we're in Asia, and Asia is very spiritual. There's a lot of spiritism that goes on in Asia, and Asia needs Jesus Christ. Africa needs Jesus Christ. Latin America needs Jesus Christ, but so does Europe. Europe needs Jesus Christ. And there are many people there who, even as Joy alluded to in our church, they, they had never seen a move of the Holy Spirit they had never heard a, a message in tongues or an interpretation or a prophecy. And they were frankly shocked the first few times that it began to happen. And they asked us, what's going on? We've never seen this before. And we said, well, we just try to let God be in charge of the service. He's not a guest here. He's, he's in charge. And whatever he wants to do, we want to be submissive to that. I want to speak to you this morning from John chapter 4. 
Sam, I'm sorry for what you are going through right now. May God comfort you and your family. Your daddy meant a lot to me. I know that hundreds could say that. John chapter 4, a different kind of food. Food is one of my favorite subjects. Faith, family, friends, number four is food. In fact, I, I like food so much, I like to combine those, you know. Let's pray over the meal with family and friends. Why can't we do all four together? That's... Somebody said to me one time, what is it about you Pentecostals? You love your fellowship meal. And I said, yeah, and what's wrong with that? In Acts, they were fellowshipping all the time, getting together far more frequently than we often do in our society today. So I want to speak to you today about a subject, a different kind of food. I'm going to read John chapter 4, verses 25 through 34, and then for sake of time, I'm going to skip down to 39 and read through verse 42. And I'm reading from the New Living Translation. The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. Then Jesus told her, I am the Messiah. Ooh, I mean, when I read that, the chills run down my spine. Just then, his disciples came back, and they were shocked to find him talking to a woman, but none of them had the nerve to ask, what do you want with her? Or why are you talking with her? The woman left her water jar beside the well, and she ran back to the village. Because that's what you do when you encounter Jesus Christ. You run. She was telling everyone, come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. I'm glad there were no children present based on her life. Could he possibly be the Messiah? So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. But Jesus replied, I have a kind of food to eat that you know nothing about. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? The disciples asked each other. Then Jesus explained, My nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. Many Samaritans, I'm down in verse 39 now. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. But when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village, so he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe, not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. There's nothing like hearing it straight, right? Now we know that he is indeed the Savior of the world. One of the most remarkable things to me about this story is this. Jesus had worked among his own people 
the Jews, who we know looked down on the Samaritans, he had worked with them, he had done miracles, he had performed signs and wonders, but they were struggling to believe. He shows up to a woman at a well, a Samaritan woman no less, a Samaritan woman with a colorful reputation. Jesus tells her, I am the Messiah, and she immediately believes. The people come from the village, and they believe. Was Jesus any different in Samaria than he was in Judah or Jerusalem? No. No, it's the same reason that one person can sit beside another in a church service and one may not feel anything and the other may be moved beyond belief. Because one person is actively listening. That's what Jesus meant when he said, those who have ears, let them hear, right? Let them hear. The hurt of the individual, that's the first part of this sermon. Jesus had been sharing some wonderful, powerful spiritual truth with this Samaritan woman. Their conversation had begun about a drink of water. But then this Jewish man said that he could give her living water. He was talking about never being thirsty again and a fresh bubbling spring that gives eternal life. Then this, that's when this woman instinctively replied, Please, sir, give me this water. However, their intriguing conversation had taken an uncomfortable turn when this stranger asked her to go and get her husband. The woman suddenly found herself confessing something that she had never intended to discuss with anyone, least of all a Jewish man whom she had just met. In fact, this topic was why the townspeople and her own neighbors despised her. Her past and their knowledge of it was the reason that she could not come to the well during the cooler part of the day when most of the others came to draw their water. She wasn't deaf to their unkind remarks and unfriendly giggles. So she kept to herself. But it was a lonely life. Nevertheless, as she listened to this stranger, she felt something. Something stirring in her heart. How did he so skillfully turn the conversation from water to worship? But no, she was the one who had asked about worship. Well, it seemed a safer subject to her than continuing to discuss her scandalous personal life. And how did this stranger know that she had five failed marriages and was now living with a man? Who had betrayed her? Who had talked about her? And what was this ache deep in her own heart that kept her there? Asking more questions. All of her life, she had felt the sting of rejection. I've met a lot of people in Europe this way. You know a lot of people in central Florida who are like this. It was probably the main reason that she could not maintain a healthy, loving relationship because, frankly, she didn't know what healthy and loving was supposed to look like. 
But then this stranger had piqued her interest with yet another intriguing remark. He had said, quote, The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in that way. In what way? In spirit and in truth. And by making that statement, Jesus had awakened an old longing deep within her heart. Her life was filled with pain, regret, and deceit. What she longed for was authenticity. Something that was real and would make her feel like she was a legitimate part of community. She felt so alone. But Jesus had just said, The Father is looking for those who will worship Him in spirit and in truth. Something in her spirit leapt at the mere thought that anyone might be looking for her. Her pitiful past had killed her joy, robbed her peace, and stamped out her hope. But his words had caused something within her to begin to spring to life again. She, she wanted to believe, but her life was a series of disappointments. She couldn't afford to get her hopes up prematurely. Should she dare ask any more questions? The woman said, I know the Messiah is coming, the one who is called Christ. When he comes, he will explain everything to us. And she could scarcely believe his reply. I am the Messiah. Many men, in their sordid, selfish attempts to win her affections, had told her all sorts of things, but she had never felt this way before. Did she misunderstand what he had said? I am the Messiah. Suddenly, they were not alone anymore. This man's friends had returned from the village, and they seemed to resent her presence. She was used to that reaction. And she hardly noticed because she was still processing Jesus' incredible statement, I am the Messiah. She was so shocked that she completely forgot why she had come to the well. Or at least it was no longer important. She left her water jar and ran back to the village. But this time, instead of trying to avoid others, as was her pattern, she was enthusiastically searching for everyone she could find. You should have seen the astonished expressions on their faces as she told them one after another, Come and see a man who told me everything I ever did. Could he possibly be the Messiah? The hurt of the individual. Now let's talk about the hope of the masses for a few moments. Verse 30, So the people came streaming from the village to see him. I love that. What a beautiful, beautiful picture. Imagine what Jesus must have been feeling at that moment. Everywhere he went, crowds of people followed him, but usually it was because they had heard about his miracles. They needed healing or they had a family member or a friend who was sick, so they would bring them. 
Or perhaps they had heard that Jesus had fed the multitudes, so they were looking for a free meal. But in this instance, Jesus had sat wearily beside the well in the heat of the day, tired from the long walk and the never-ending demands of ministry. He had simply asked this woman for a drink of water. And as usual for Jesus, life often led to ministry. Jesus wasn't the only one who was thirsty. And this woman's thirst was much more serious than his. Others saw her and pulled back in disgust. Jesus saw her and came closer in compassion. When Jesus had sat down by the well, he was tired and thirsty and hungry. He had left Judea because the Pharisees were trying to pit him against John the Baptist in some kind of unseemly water baptism competition. But Jesus didn't care about rivalries or religion. Jesus cared about relationships and responding to the Father's will. Jesus' heart continuously beat for the hearts of others. Everywhere he looked, Jesus saw broken, wounded, discouraged, and desperate people. And here came some more. So the people came streaming from the village to see him. Yes, when Jesus sat down by the well, he was tired and thirsty and hungry. However, this conversation with a lonely, dejected woman was infusing his spirit with renewed strength. Why? Because she was tender-hearted and responsive. No matter what her past looked like, her motive in talking with Jesus had become pure. She was searching for what Jesus had. And his joy was never greater than when he could feed those whose spirits were famished. What caused the townspeople to listen to the woman's testimony? To drop whatever they were doing and come out to where Jesus was? And what happened to the many who came to see him? Well, the scripture tells us in verse 39... Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus because the woman had said, He told me everything I ever did. And when they came out to see him, they begged him to stay in their village. So he stayed for two days, long enough for many more to hear his message and believe. Then they said to the woman, Now we believe. Not just because of what you told us, but because we have heard him ourselves. Now we know that He is indeed the Savior of the world. I love their simplistic faith. Perhaps you've never heard a pastor say this before. God, give me the faith of a Samaritan. Notice those words. Many Samaritans from the village believed in Jesus. But not everyone did. You see, we always have our free will, right? Our personal right to believe and accept and embrace His life-changing truth or to reject it and remain as we are. It's our choice. 
Did you hear the result of their interaction with Jesus? It wasn't just his words, as powerful as those were. It wasn't just what he said. It was the way he said it. It was the love and compassion and peace they felt merely being in his presence. I wonder if when the woman initially told them about this man, they thought that they would make a quick trip out to the well to investigate her report or simply to satisfy their own curiosity. But from the moment they arrived, from the initial words falling from Jesus' lips, they were completely captivated. The Samaritans had their share of religious leaders and so-called prophets, but they had never experienced anything like this. When they first came out to the well, it was just after lunch, but now it was way past dinner time. The sun was setting, but a new sense of hope was beginning to dawn across the horizon of their hearts. They didn't want Jesus to leave. So they begged him to stay. You know how hard it is sometimes when you get into a great service and the Spirit comes down and you just don't want to leave, right? They didn't want Jesus to leave, so they begged him to stay in their village. Not that Jesus needed persuading, but their pleading was an indication of their hunger for more. A craving that had gone for so long without having been alleviated in the least, was stirring deep within them. How could they have so ravenously devoured Jesus' every word and still felt even more hungry than ever? And what was this unfamiliar sensation they were experiencing? A hope which had lay dormant for so long that it was nearly dead, but now it was roaring back to life. They had begged Jesus to stay, and He happily did for two glorious days. Their personal business and projects that they thought were so important were left untended and unnoticed. That's what happens when the Messiah comes to town. They were so excited that when they finally went to bed, they could hardly get to sleep. And yet when they awakened the next morning, they couldn't remember ever having slept so well. Whenever Jesus finished talking at the most recent gathering, they found themselves talking with each other about what He had just said. It was the most exhilarating experience that they had ever had, and it seemed only to be the beginning. That first day, many had believed in Jesus because of the remarkable testimony of the woman However, after hearing Jesus for themselves, they had an essential personal experience. And that is what must happen for each of us, right? Our faith cannot be based upon the words or experiences of others. You've heard it before. God has no grandchildren. He only has children. Like you, many of you, I have a rich Christian heritage. My great-grandmother was one of the first licensed ministers with the Assemblies of God that was a female. Back then, they would not ordain ladies. My grandfather was a pastor. My father was a pastor. So I am blessed with a long spiritual heritage. But, There came a point in my life when I knew 
that my faith must become personal. We must have a personal encounter with Jesus Christ. We must arrive at our own conclusion that, quote, He is indeed the Savior of the world. We've talked about the hurt of the individual and the hope of the masses. Let's finish up with the happiness of the Master. Meanwhile, verse 31, Meanwhile, the disciples were urging Jesus, Rabbi, eat something. You need to refresh yourself to renew your strength. You need to recharge your batteries. Consuming some food will help you replenish your fuel supply. His response? I have a kind of food you know nothing about. Jesus was not being arrogant or self-righteous. He was not trying to shame or humiliate his disciples. The disciples were merely trying to serve Jesus. They were trying to help take care of one of his most basic needs, the need for physical nourishment. Jesus was not being ungrateful for their act of kindness, no. But he was trying to peel away another layer of their spiritual blindness. Jesus was helping his disciples to see life from the Father's perspective. After all, that is true wisdom. Seeing life from God's perspective. But of course, just like us, the disciples did not understand what Jesus meant. Did someone bring him food while we were gone? They asked. Then Jesus explained, my nourishment comes from doing the will of God who sent me and from finishing his work. You see, there comes a point when his work must become my work. Jesus was saying this, doing my Father's will, this is what gives me energy. Here is where I find my fulfillment. This is my purpose in life. My reason for being, spending myself to finish the assignment my Father gave me. This satisfies a desire far greater than physical hunger. As much as I like food, there's a different kind of food. As I was preparing the sermon, it caused me to begin again to reevaluate my own life. And I ask myself, what brings me the greatest joy? The joy, peace, and fulfillment I experience cannot be based upon circumstances, income, or possessions. My identity must not be wrapped up in my career. If my purpose in life is dependent upon my work, then what will happen if I lose my job? I must not expect my wife, as wonderful as she is, or our daughters, or my ministry, to give me nourishment. I experience joy from my family and ministry, but my nourishment must come from doing the will of God. And from finishing the task he has assigned to me.
What brings you the greatest joy? I know that's not really my business. It's between you and the Father. Please don't leave this service today without confronting that question. What brings you the greatest joy in your life? Jesus wants you to taste a different kind of food. And once we sample what he offers, we will never again be thirsty or hungry for anything else. I've tasted of what the world has to offer. And then I've tasted and seen that the Lord is good. And now what the world offers are scraps. Just scraps. You can get better stuff out of the waste bin. The world will try to convince us that what it has, we must have, right? You must buy this or you will not have happiness. I'm glad that we have learned better than that. We know where our joy comes from. We will not allow possessions to possess us. We are possessed, all right. We're possessed by a spirit, by the Holy Spirit. He infuses our life with power. He breathes into us, and we breathe into the spiritually dead around us. Just as Adam was breathed into by God, God breathes into us, and we become a living being. However alive I am today, I want to be even more alive tomorrow. However possessed I am right now, I want to be even more possessed. However much surrendered I feel like I have done so far, I want to be even more fully surrendered tomorrow. More committed, more sold out, more devoted, because a dead man has nothing to lose. A dead man has nothing to lose And the scripture says that I have died with Christ. If I've really died with Christ, then the things that people do to me won't hurt so bad. It won't hurt as much. Because you can't hurt a dead person. Well, come on now. My heart aches. Because there's so many people sitting in a chair in church on Sunday morning. They're doing like a lot of the people in Europe did for many years. They just went through the motions. You know, being in a church doesn't make you a Christian any more than being in a garage makes you a car. uh, We've got to sell out to God. And, And my faith can't... My faith can't be dependent upon the message that the pastor brings that day or the, or the worship that Pastor Christina offers in song. It, it shouldn't be dependent upon whether she leads my favorite song, whether I release and praise God. Because He's worthy. So He's worthy even if we don't have any music. 
He's worthy even if everything the pastor said stepped all over my toes. God is still worthy. So I'm going to celebrate. I'm going to celebrate His goodness. I'm going to surrender to Him. Because there's nothing worth giving my life for except Jesus Christ. In about six weeks, Joy and I will celebrate 25 years with Assemblies of God World Missions. Where has the time gone? And I think to myself, I live for one thing. Just if I can hear him say one day, well done. I'm glad, I'm glad he said, well done, good and faithful. I'm glad he didn't say popular and successful. <laughs> I'm glad he said, well done, how good. You know, the good news is we can all be good because of what Jesus has done in our lives. And we can all be faithful. Because that just means just putting our foot in front of the neck and walking the path and do it, doing the hard work, right? Anybody can, anybody can be a, you know, a, flashing, a flash in the pan. Anybody can do that. That's not where it's at. It's not about who's the brightest on a given Sunday. It's about who's there week after week after week. Putting in the time. Building relationship. And you're worth building relationship with. And God, who is... Who is more important than our relationship with Him, right? Can we just bow our heads and close our eyes? Pastor gave me permission to give the altar call. Please. Please listen to that voice.